Thank you, Jim. Good morning, everyone. We have a few people out in the parking lot, I think, too. So, welcome. Welcome, car parking lot people and church building people. Here we are again. Uh, we had a ball with a lot of you coming over to our house uh, for the ice cream social. Thank you for joining us for that. It was a busy place. I did a lot of scooping that night. Some of you guys can pack away homemade ice cream pretty good. And uh, the results were in for the strawberries. It was almost 50-50 with the Roger Dale simple method of strawberry ice cream and the Calvin Gruen more complex. And then with the weird flavor, the peach that had uh, balsamic vinegar and cheese in it, uh, I asked the question, is it genius or is it madness? And uh, I got the thumbs up on it. More people said genius to madness. So, but it was a stretch for some, some people wouldn't even try that one. Although Karina had me sneak a scoop in for Lynn Staley, so. So last week, we talked about how some of us at least have a sense of just the gathering storm clouds in our culture. And the challenges that we face trying to be salt and light and navigate this life that we have with grace. And I suggested that the alternative that we have to just sitting back with our arms crossed and complaining about everything, uh, the alternative that we have to giving in to despair in our broken world, the alternative to being exhausted, exhausted by all the shoulds and the should-nots, exhausted by all the have-tos and all the ought-tos of this life. And this is also uh, the alternative to half-heartedness and double-mindedness and lukewarmness. The alternative to all of these things is to be led by the Holy Spirit and to be in step with the Spirit, to learn how to listen to the Spirit. And so we're going to begin kind of where we left off this last week. Peter in Acts 2, quoting from Joel chapter 2, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. The prophet Joel originally was speaking to a universal outpouring of the Holy Spirit as a future hope to encourage God's holy people. But in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter quotes Joel to describe a current reality that was happening in force and would continue to happen. People were experiencing something of the fulfillment of this prophecy on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Well, for a first century Jew, Pentecost was the 50th day after Passover. 50 days after the Passover, it was an agricultural festival. Uh, it was 50 days after the original Passover that the Israelites came to Mount Sinai, and we know at Mount Sinai that's where they were given the law. Uh, 
So in a very real sense, this Pentecost holiday was about God giving his redeemed people a way of life, a way of living, a way of being, a way of life surrounded and built on and immersed in the law of Moses. How appropriate then that on the day of Pentecost, God should give to his redeemed people again a way of living, a way of being, not with laws written on stone tablets, but now with laws written on human hearts. In Acts chapter 2, we are given the possibility, at least, of a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, a way of life in step with the Spirit, a way of life led by the Spirit. And so the first thing I want you to notice about this prophecy is who this prophecy is for. Who's this promise for? I will pour out my spirit on all people, sons, daughters, young men, old men, servants, both men and women. See, before the events of the day of Pentecost, the spirit had come only on a few people on special occasions for special situations or empowerment. But now the Holy Spirit is available to everyone. In fact, there are three parallelisms in Acts 2, 17 through 18. Sons and daughters, young men, old men, men, servants, and women, servants. So I just want you to notice the gift of the Holy Spirit is wide open with respect to gender. The gift of the Holy Spirit is open in regards to your age. The gift of the Holy Spirit is open in regards to class. Even the servants are able to receive this gift. The young, the old, I will do that. The young and the old women, servants. You know, these are groups I was thinking about that historically have been underestimated. Historically, they've been ignored a lot of times, assumed. But the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they are clearly participants in the new way of life that the Spirit brings. In fact, the only distinguishing factor that I see for this Acts 2 group of disciples, the only qualification at this point is that they're disciples of Jesus Christ. They belong to Jesus. They're his people. And a few verses later, then we find out things about this gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is tied by Peter to both the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. 
And so there's a correlation that comes then. And beyond this, in the chapters of Acts coming, uh, we find the Holy Spirit leading the way for Gentiles to be included. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is open to even races. You don't have to be a Jew anymore to receive the Holy Spirit and that gift. So I think the Pentecost event is nothing short of a new way of life for all of God's people. And all of God's people are meant to live by the Spirit. And we have trouble sometimes understanding that. It's a little bit, feels a little bit shaky, ambiguous to us. But I think uh, everything depends on that. Learning to live a life in step with the Holy Spirit. And so let's talk a little bit about prophecies, visions, and dreams that are mentioned by Peter, quoting from Joel. First of all, uh, and again, I'm just touching the surface of these things. First of all, we can say that prophecies, visions, and dreams are gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're manifestations of his power at work in the church for the good of the church. In some ways, these gifts are tangible things that people could see. Uh, They were ways that people could identify, yes, something new has begun now. This new age of the Spirit has begun now on these tongues that fall like flames of fire. And the universality of this outpouring, the gifts themselves were sign markers pointing to this new way of life in the Holy Spirit. And in some way, I think visions, dreams, and prophecies are words that we speak that are out in front of us. And sometimes they speak to realities that have not yet come to pass. Realities that are far from certain. Dreams in particular are symbolic. Sometimes they require interpretation. Sometimes interpretation with all of these things. And they can build our faith. Alicia and I went to work in Tanzania, East Africa as missionaries for 14 years because of some very specific dreams I had. I don't talk about that a whole lot. Uh, We moved there because of these dreams sight unseen. We went to a place we had never been. And uh, working with people, other missionaries, that uh, we had met like two times. So were we crazy to base our entire life's trajectory on something as ambiguous as dreams? Maybe. But God is faithful, and the fruit of that ministry speaks for itself. And let me just say that the fruit of dreams you dream together with the Lord, that fruit is sweet. That fruit will grow your faith when you stick your neck out for Jesus Christ. Well, we've got to be realistic about these things. So let me reel us in just a little bit for some perspective. There are uh, some inherent problems that we have dealing with these verses. And we just got to own these problems so that we can uh, begin to address them and maybe in some small way move past them. 
So we're a cultural thoroughly steeped in modernity, and for good or ill, we carry a very kind of mechanicalistic view of this universe. And some of these miraculous things we read out on, uh, we read about in the scriptures, they're hard to quantify, they're hard to measure, they're hard on some level for us to even consider or accept. And we can just own that, that's okay. Uh, Because a lot of these things are outside of our personal experience, and we have a natural bias against them. And for the most part, uh, God, he doesn't force anyone to see anything that they don't want to see. You will always have to have faith to find the Lord your God. And without faith, you're not going to see as much. It will be impossible to please him. So that's one problem. The second is there's a lot of sensationalism surrounding miraculous gifts and outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Entire denominations have intentionally or unintentionally labeled and even commodified dramatic outpourings and gifts of the Spirit. Uh, And for those, you know, if you haven't experienced this spiritual gift and we're the ones who have, Those of you who haven't, I don't want to say anything, but everyone kind of knows they're second-class Christians, and they're not as serious, there's some problem there. Well, let me just say, biblically speaking, biblically speaking, there's no such thing as a non-charismatic Christian. There is outpourings of a lot of different gifts of the Holy Spirit. And to just say, these are it and these aren't it, well, we got to let the Scripture speak in all of that, I think. I think it's hard for us to try to put God in a box, either a box that, you know, says, here's my box. God doesn't do that stuff anymore. We just wash our hands of it. We're safe. Maybe that happened back then, not anymore. Let's just move on. Or a box that says, this is what this is. This is what this looks like. We have this. Maybe you can have it too. God is not subject to the boxes, boundaries, lines, categories, or expectations of humanity. He is God. He is the potter. You and I, we are the clay. And as much as we may talk back, and as much as we may put up some kind of pretense, the potter's going to do what he wants to do with the clay in the end. Well, we have to be wise about this sort of thing. This is, you know, something that can clearly go off the rails. Because we are a culture that's in love with uh, celebrity. We are a culture that goes chasing after the sensational. Uh, There are people with mixed motives who know this and they obtain monetary gain from the sensational. They obtain maybe 
fame or some kind of level of influence or power uh, through claims of achieving the sensational. So because of the age and the culture we live in, because of the difficulty understanding gifts of the Spirit like prophecy, like dreams, like visions, a lot of Christians, to play it safe, we have backed into blatant naturalism. God just doesn't do that anymore. Uh, Maybe he did that back then. We're not exactly sure, but I'll come to church anyway and... We do that because it's uncomfortable. We do it because these kinds of things, these kinds of gifts, they've been abused. Uh, These kinds of things are beyond our personal experience. And so we've relieved ourselves of any responsibility or even expectation of God ever coming and doing something miraculous in our midst. We just don't have that expectation. No one comes here on Sunday morning expecting a miracle to happen. We've even come up with a verse that supports this kind of thinking. Uh, One verse in the entire Bible that I know of that at first glance seems to give us permission to just move past this kind of stuff and wash our hands of this whole embarrassing prophecy business. Where there are prophecies, they will cease Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know a part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part, it disappears. The problem is that we pull this verse out of a larger context and we pay no attention to the other verses that surround it. Uh, And the controversy comes to this place uh, when completeness comes. When does completeness come? And so people who've uh, taken a cessationist view, there are no more miracles, God doesn't do that stuff anymore. They've kind of arrived at that place, well, we haven't heard any prophecies for a while, so I guess we're in the time of completeness now. Well, when did that time of completeness happen? Uh, I don't know. It just kind of did. It's ambiguous. We just, at some point, kind of slipped into that. We don't see this anymore. We don't experience it all the time anymore. So, the problem with this interpretation is that it is very ambiguous. And Paul is not talking about something ambiguous. He's talking about the second coming. He's talking about death, what happens after death and after resurrection. He's talking about the completeness and the perfection of being together with the Lord face to face. So let me ask this question. What sense or purpose would a prophecy, a dream, or a vision have when you are face to face with the Lord your God. What sense does prophecies make if God is right here in the room with me, talking to me face to face? We're not going to be in heaven with the Lord as our light saying, thus saith the Lord. 
We'll just hear from the Lord. Does that make sense? There will be no more. The time is coming, says the Lord. There will just be, says the Lord. So the question that we have to answer is, are we living in the time where we see things partially as in a mirror, a polished metal mirror? Or are we living in the time when we already see everything clearly face to face? Are we living in the time where we know in part and prophesy in part? Or are we living in the time where we already know everything fully? Raise your hand if you know everything fully. If you, if you raise your hand, I have some questions for you. Now, you may not agree or with me, you may disagree, but I hope at least I've got you thinking. And I've been labeled by other Christians as a mystic and a dreamer, and it's probably true, and I'm okay with that, if you want to stick that on me. Um, but I don't claim to fully understand these things. I don't claim to have witnessed all of these things. I'm just the guy who is saying, you're going to have a hard time putting God in a box. But if you want to uh, uh, put me in a category, let me give you some ammunition so you know just fully how weird I am, as long as I'm privileged to be your minister. I believe in miracles. I believe that God does things in response to our prayers that he would not otherwise do. I believe that it is God's desire to work together with us and that he gives us real work and a real part to play. And it's important work. I think that the gifts that exist, existed in the New Testament church in one form or another, in one place or another, they still exist in the Lord's church today. I think that these gifts, more often than not, they come with quietness and humility rather than through something sensational and dramatic. And that's just based on my experience of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I don't know if you figured this out about him or not. He's not desperate for attention. We're a church that's ignored him for decades. He didn't seem to mind too much. Because he just keeps turning our hearts and our minds toward Jesus Christ. And that's his joy. Holy Spirit's not desperate for attention. He's quiet. He's humble. And he's gentle qualities that he has in that fellowship of love with the Father and the Son. I think that whatever way the Holy Spirit has chosen to distribute spiritual gifts at this little church, at the Eugene Church of Christ, I believe that we do, in fact, have everything we need 
to do the work that God has asked us to do. We're not lacking in that regard. We're a diverse body. We're made up of many parts. We're very different people. Apart from Jesus Christ, some of us would not be hanging out much. And our gifting and our talents, they're also very diverse. And with Jesus Christ as our head, this church is meant to participate in the mission of God. We are meant to participate in the mission of God. So therefore, anything that we lack, whether in gifts or parts or people, the Lord himself, he's going to supply. Well, let me share some scriptural guidance concerning prophecy and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because frankly, if, if we find this stuff is out of step with the Scripture, it's the Scriptures that are right. The Holy Spirit doesn't tell you things that are against what has already been revealed in Scripture. One time I know of that happening a little bit. And it's where the Holy Spirit had to lead the way for the Gentiles to be included in the church. He had a group of people that were listening, and he walked through the door, and the church struggled to keep up with him in what he was doing in that miraculous time. Well, first of all, let me say, I don't think we can just dismiss these things. We have to learn how to talk about them. We have to figure them out. We have to learn how to deal with them. This takes a lot of grace, and it takes courage on our part as well, I think. Do not quench the Spirit. Or used to say, the Spirit's fire, the older 1984 NIV. Do not treat prophecies with contempt but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. Number two, these gifts are given for the good of the church body. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That means this body of many parts, you have a role to play. Maybe you don't fully understand that. Maybe you're not fully grasping that. Maybe you're just barely listening to the Spirit, but mostly you're going your own way, doing your own thing, and they're like, oh, I'll get around to that later. But if you want to know, here's a prayer. Here's a dangerous prayer. Lord, show me my sin. He'll show you. He'll sh- Some of you are seeing it right now, and it's uncomfortable and you don't like it. Show me my sin. He's also good. And that's why we say the the life of the Spirit is a, a life that's in the right flow, the right pace. He won't show you all of your sin at once. You would be overwhelmed and broken. 
if we understood the depth of our betrayal of Jesus Christ in our own hearts, it would crush us. But these things, they're not given to make spiritual superheroes. They're not given for people to become famous. Uh, and this whole idea of Christian celebrity. I mean, I, I'm glad we're not a bigger church than we are because I can't imagine thousands of people that you, it takes a great level of humility and faith to be able to handle that. But you know when it's real is when it's blessing for the church. It doesn't just make Calvin more this or whatever. It's a waking up and a realization that God is at work in our midst for the good of the body. Then Paul talks about particularly that some gifts are of greater value than other gifts. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets because... When someone makes a noise and stuff like that in the power of the Spirit, whatever that looks like, glossalia or tongues, unless there's someone that's able to interpret, it's just gibberish. So it's lower in the priority list. Paul's like, do that privately on your own. If you're going to do something in the assembly with the group, let it be something that edifies. Let it be something that builds faith. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And then, here's another one, number four. We have to be wise and discerning about this stuff. Test the spirits. Test the spirits. Is it building faith toward, lead, uh, toward Jesus Christ? Is it leading me in a direction where from the depths of my soul I am crying out, Jesus Christ is Lord? Or is that thought not there so much? Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many people are making different kinds of claims with these things. Jesus simply says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. All right. I'm going to try something. I, uh, this week, feel like in prayer, the Lord gave me some words to share. I don't know that this is a prophecy. I don't necessarily even claim it as such. Maybe it's just wishful thinking. But there's a certain part of me that is sad how comfortable I have become not stretching myself and taking steps of faith for the good 
of this church and the blessing of this church. That's my heart behind this. I don't claim that I fully understand this. I definitely claim that I am someone who sees things different, uh, dimly and uh, not real clear. But I think I've been looking at something and I've been praying about it. I'm not a prophet, I'm just the guy who makes the ice cream. And just so you know, I have no power to fulfill any of these words that I speak. I have zero power in any of this. I barely had enough power to make ice cream for half of you out there. So I'm fully aware that I'm writing a check now that I don't have the funds to cover. But I put this out here and uh, I got this prompt to do this and I have permission to share what I want to share. Uh, I think that this is coming from the small measure of faith that I do have. And some of you will hear this in faith because you have growing faith as well. This is tied to a miracle that the Lord is already working in this church on our behalf and on behalf of the Heater family. This is concerning baby Bree, and the Heater said I could share this this morning. We are still in a time when the outcome of these events concerning Bree Heater, they're far from certain. Until recently, medical professionals were still talking about the very real possibility of stillbirth. Many of you know that it wasn't very long ago that that Tori came forward and we prayed and poured our hearts out in faith, asking the Lord for a miracle. Because she was told that she needed to abort that fetus and that there was a zero percent, zero percent chance of survival. And you were here that Sunday morning, a lot of you, when we asked the Lord for a miracle. And we've been continuing to ask for that miracle. So the fact that I'm even able to stand here and attempt this is a testimony to your faith and even more so to God's faithfulness. the miracle that the Lord has begun will be brought to completion. Baby Bree will be born and the challenges she faces, she will overcome. And there will be a day coming when the Heater family 
is going to come forward before this church and the elders and I are going to lay hands on them and we're going to bless them. And in this vision, I see my hand on baby Bree's head. And when I am saying a blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in that moment, we're going to remember all of this long winding path that we've been on coming up to this moment. And as we bless that family, the Holy Spirit is going to bless this church. And the doors of hearts that have been closed for a long time, they're going to open. Eyes that have been dry for a long time, they are going to flow with tears. And the hope and faith of many will grow. And beyond this, even though Bree's stature may be small, her personality is going to be large. She will have fire in her spirit. She will grow up in a house of love, and she will be loved by this church. She is going to feel this love, and she's going to grow strong in that love. And when this little girl, when she comes into a room, heads are going to turn. Because her presence is going to command our attention. Because she is going to be to us our little miracle. And she will be a living testimony to this church that the Lord your God still sees, that the Lord your God still answers, and that the Lord your God still acts. This was not comfortable for me to do. I'm stepping out in faith again. I'm just your preacher, but I love this church. And the only one who has the power to carry these words is the Lord God himself. So I realize we've barely touched on some of these issues surrounding some of these gifts of the Spirit. And I don't know, maybe what I'm doing is not that, but I'm trying. I'm trying in faith. And I think while the gifts of the Spirit, they have their place and they are important, the bigger story in all of this is about learning to walk in this new way of life initiated by the Spirit. Trusting His lead. Listening to His voice. And the bigger issue always is not the gifts themselves, 
It's what we have available to us as a church in Christ Jesus. In relationship, in fellowship, in love. Faith, hope, and love. So we're going to talk about that next time I preach. How do you live a life in step with the Spirit? Uh, How do you listen to the Spirit? It's not rocket science, but it's not easy for us to figure out. And we have certain biases that we have to try to work past. But I think we have all the help that we need to accomplish the mission of God in this place, the Eugene Church of Christ. So we're going to continue in faith. And the Lord God is going to do what he's going to do. He is the potter. We are the clay. So we offer an invitation. And uh, if you need the prayers of this church, we will gladly pray for you in any needs that you might have. If you want to put the Lord on in baptism, that's uh, uh, how this whole discipleship journey starts and gets underway. We can make provision for that as well. But uh, I'll be up here, and you can come talk to me as you will as we stand and sing. But let me also, before we do that, I have an introduction to make. Uh, Just so you know, this is the Hogue family, and they have placed membership with us there. So, I don't know. Wave your hand, Jason. Uh, Julie's around somewhere too. Kids, other family, I guess, or? All right. Mom and dad, okay. Very good. You guys are most welcome, Aaliyah Colton. So, uh, go shake their hand and get to know them a little bit. If you are visiting with us today, uh, God bless you. And, uh, um, Don't think too badly of us. We're trying our best here in this place. And uh, it may be true that the preacher has a few loose screws, but boy, I believe it. I believe it in my bones. And uh, we're glad that you've joined us. So let's uh, go ahead and stand and sing this morning together.